you're listening to The Greatest Discovery. This is Mary Wiseman, Cadet Tilly, and Captain Killy. Captain! Not here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Starfleet Command. What's happening? Context Starfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Starfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Starfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Fresh off of a couple of back-to-back-to-back hangouts for me and you. Yeah, it's been a very busy week, socially speaking, which is unusual for both of us, I think. Feels good. Feels good to get out there and, and have some beverages together. Yeah, it's some uh, some Rita's last night. Yeah. Went to a very fun family Mexican restaurant last night. Yeah. But a couple nights before that, we were at 10 Forward. That's right. Viewers at home might have seen that there was a real life 10 Forward bar that opened in downtown Los Angeles yeah. where they transplanted the whole 10 Forward set, just yeah. threw it into a pickup truck, brought it to an <laughs> event space, and then uh, built up an event space around it. And this is not the 10 forward set from TNG, we should stress. No. Yeah, this is the Star Trek Picard 10 forward set. Yeah, that's a real bar that they dressed up to look uh, futuristic. And then they brought it into this space in downtown LA. And we, we actually went a couple of times. We went just the two of us the first time. And then we went back uh, a couple nights later with a few buddies. Yeah. Our friend and agent. Agent friend. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know what, what order to put that in. And uh, another uh, friend of ours and of the show, uh, our other friend, Ben. Yeah, Ben Fritz, who uh, yeah. famously got you into the Discovery premiere, season yeah. one, episode one. Yeah, he is definitely no stranger to the fun Star Trek event, for sure. Really is not. Yeah, it was really cool. I was kind of surprised at like the value of it. It didn't seem like it was really like exorbitantly overpriced. It was 25 bucks to go in and you get... A couple of drinks and as much food as you want for that, which... I was also surprised. Like, that didn't sound like LA prices to me. It doesn't. It's really like the spirit of Guinan prices. Like, affordability for all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They weren't gouging. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, it was neat. It did feel like a different place. Like, it didn't just feel like a room with Guinan's bar set set up in there. They did a good job dressing the whole thing. Making it feel lived in. It was clearly temporary, like if you look really close at the mm -hmm. at the stuff, but like they did a great job. Like this was like done by like a scenic building crew that like really made it feel like a a real place. And um The veneers were good looking. Yeah, the staff was also just like amazing. <laughs> you know, like a pop up is it's a trendy thing these days to have a venue or uh, an event space or a store that is only there for a little while. And my experience with them is it tends to be that the staff hasn't really had time to like learn how to run it. So, so you get the party down vibe of, right. of the people who work there. Yeah. And they're like over it and it's chaotic and stuff doesn't quite work as expected. But I have to say like the staff was good. The drinks were good. The food was good. But also it just like ran really smoothly and like they were really attentive and friendly and nice. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just, uh, it was cool. Which I think you have to be if you're catering to a type of Star Trek nerd that wants to go live and experience for 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably going to need a patient, gentle host <laughs> type personality yeah. to usher some folks through. It was a lot of fun. We 
we were quite taken, especially by the trays that the food was served on. <laughs> you know, this is like a quarter hotel pan style tray that all the food was coming out on. And you noticed that it had 10 forward logo on the pan and you were like, I want this pan. And I was like, I don't know, man, are you going to like slip it under your jacket and walk out of here with it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we should be clear, like, this is a place that sold merch. They had an entire merch booth in the corner, and right. they, they had what they were calling some 10 forward exclusive items in there, things like hoodies and glasses yeah, and, and shot glasses and so forth. But we were getting served drinks and food on these quarter sheet pans, and they were my favorite piece of merch from the whole room. And... <laughs> We got along smashingly with our host. We did both nights. We got along really well with the servers floating around. One of them said that we looked like uh, <laughs> like Pike and Spock from Star Trek 2009, which I took as a very nice compliment. Yeah. Two dashing gentlemen. Right. We weren't in cosplay. She just thought that we looked like the actors, <laughs> which yeah. was cool. <laughs> so having gotten that good with the host... After that kind of compliment, we were like, what is the deal with these quarter sheets? Yeah. How, how can we milk this to our advantage? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen if I walk out of here with this? And they're like, give me a second. I think I know just the person. And so our, our server goes and finds like the head honcho yeah. running the entire event. And they're talking for kind of a long time. And they're gesturing at me and you. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like it's going well because the gestures look like that. I was uh, I was ready to like cut to outside and Adam and Ben get tossed out. You know, like the, the guy like gripping the back of our belts, like heaving us out the front door kind of energy. One interesting thing our host asked us was who we were. <laughs> like to sort of maybe make a stronger case. Yeah. And we said who we were. We said we hosted The Greatest Generation, a very popular Star Trek podcast. And we like gave this person our information. And with this information and the request, our host came back with the head honcho of the event, who then told us that it was a great idea. Yeah. An idea so great that he was going to give us a couple of quarter sheets <laughs> for giving it to him. Yeah. And, uh, and they put it at the merch table. You could, yeah. like, after that first night when you and I went there... People could go buy the the quarter sheet. So if you went to this event and bought a quarter sheet pan... You have Adam to thank for it. That was me. That was me. <laughs> See, sometimes I have good ideas. Yeah, occasionally you do. It's amazing. <laughs> and you know what was fun about how they did this event was that when we went back the second time... It was just as fun. They changed up the food every night. Yeah. The cocktails were great every night. Like sometimes you go to a place, like I was expecting a kind of oversweet Disneyland cocktail situation where where it's like, ooh, maybe one is all I want because right, right. <laughs> yikes. But every cocktail we got was super good and, and like a professional good bar cocktail. And they had the Star Trek wines there that you could have glasses of too. Yeah. I also thought that those were good. Yeah. And the food both nights was great. I didn't try the blue wine. <laughs> yeah, I think that was smart, though. You don't want the blue wine. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, love, I love a blue drink. I had the blue cocktail. I just couldn't get there with the wine. Yeah. I was shocked it was all you could eat, though. Yeah. And we really, we tried to feats of strength yeah. that all you could eat part, especially on the second night. All you can eat is something that only sounds like a challenge to me. Uh -huh. Challenge accepted. Especially when it's tacos. The right. first night was tacos. We were taking them to the dome for sure. The second night we were there was poke bowls. And 
I ate three entire Poke Bowls. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, they were good. They were good. I haven't had Poke since I lived in Seattle, so I really missed it. But all you can eat Poke is like, that's madness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't make up the rule. They did. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I hope they do stuff like that more and more. Yeah, me too. I really want to shout out the fact that they made it not cost an arm and a leg. Really like anybody could afford to go do that and yeah. and have a really nice time doing it. It was, uh, I thought that was so cool. Like so many of those things, it's like, it costs like a thousand dollars to do. And yeah, even though we can like, kind of like technically write it off <laughs> as mm-hmm. a work expense when we do those things, it. It sucks, you know, like it sucks to go to the Star Trek convention and have to pay like 95 bucks to like just be able to walk around and not even get a good seat if you want to watch a panel. Yeah, it really did not feel gougy at all. And if this is the way things are going to be going forward with events like this, then I'm all for it. Like, yeah, open it up for everyone. Well, they made all their profit on those sheet pans and they weren't even planning on doing it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, they'd probably have to raise the prices for the next event if they didn't sell the quarter sheets. Right. So so we saved it for uh, for the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another thing we can take the credit for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a great time. I'm really glad we did it. And we took plenty of pictures. We're going to post those on the socials. But uh, if you went, be sure and, uh, and share your pics with us too. Yeah. Hope you had a great time. Take a picture of yourself with the quarter sheet. I hope that's not the last time the Star Trek Industrial Complex does something like that. But this is the last episode of season four of Discovery that we came here to talk about today. Hard to believe it's over. Sure is. An episode that we didn't get a screener for. We had to to watch it like everyone else. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I am also responsible for that. Like a little, <laughs> That's what I am to this show. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. A little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. My, uh, <laughs> my comments about the show, not super positive last step, maybe causing us to lose out on those sweet, sweet screeners. Hmm. But they would have sent them before they would have heard that, I think. Maybe. I hope so. You think their finger was like hovering over the mouse to send the screener as... They were li- nobody listens to our shit. Yeah, Come boy, on. is that vanity! <laughs> <laughs> so full of shit. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's listening then or now to our episode about Star Trek Discovery season four, episode thirteen, coming home. The opening shot of this episode is federation hq on the warp wow what a cool shot it's also a ship it's not just a ship it's like oops all ships it's made of lifeboats you have to believe they thought a long time about whether or not it flew horizontal or vertical yeah because if it flew vertically it would look like the crystalline entity a little bit oh yeah you have to tilt it over people would be terrified it is nothing but a giant killing machine yeah <laughs> it's like first the fucking dma now the crystalline entity we can't catch a break over here on planet earth they would never make it past Mars defense. <laughs> so uh, we open with Tilly walking around with her cadets from uh, the episode that wrote Tilly off the show. We blame the cadets, right? Yeah, for that. their fault. Uh-huh. But yeah, she's, she's talking to them about what their assignments are going to be, how they're going to be pitching in on the aid effort as they attempt to evacuate as many people from Earth and Titan as they possibly can. And... I was thinking a lot about 
both just like the Tilly that we are introduced to in season one and the conversations that we've had with Mary Wiseman about uh, how she has thought about creating this Mm -hmm. character and that arc toward a position of leadership is so impressive. Like, I think that she did such a great job with that, like taking a character that was so unself-confident and so, you know, like ambitious, but even we could see seemed ill-suited to the captain's chair. And now she is, you know, giving orders to cadets and giving them the confidence that they need from a position of leadership in a way that feels really natural to the character. It doesn't feel like a different mask she's wearing. It feels like something that she's grown into as a person. Yeah, that's a great call. I mean, and you can't fill a confidence cup from an empty confidence cup either, you know? And so a scene like this demonstrates how she's able to do that. Like she's really come around to embody this role in a great way. Yeah, yeah. The deal is every available officer has been tasked with the evacuation project. This is like National Guard stuff. They've been activated. Yeah, they're being called up to the big leagues for this. And uh, she's... uh, you know, doing her best to make sure that they believe that they're up to the task. There's so much dialogue, so densely packed in this cold open that I'm really glad you see the exterior of the base and a section of it come out. Yeah. I mean, you and I watched this episode a couple of times before recording, but I'm not sure unless you see it, you really get that the ship's floors come out and they can warp away (laughs) and you need this moment. Yeah. No wonder they needed so much goddamn dilithium. Yeah. No wonder they ran out. You know, it kind of explains the verticality of the entire ship's design, too, in a way that you and I couldn't appreciate in the context of the moment where we learned it. Right. It's still not a great place to have an all-hands meeting. I maintain (laughs) that we were correct on that front. There should be, like, a Federation HQ East where they have some, like, bigger breakout spaces. (laughs) It does explain the stack of toilet seats configuration that this thing has. Yeah. So, uh, Admiral, I picked the wrong day to stop huffing glue is overseeing the evac and it's going really quickly, but unfortunately the capacity that the Federation has is just not going to be equal to this task. They are looking at rescuing like hundreds of thousands of people, not millions, much less billions. I love hearing that number. You have to hear the number to get the stakes. Yeah. And- Admiral, it's so weird to see him in a grocery store instead of teaching my poli-sci class, <laughs> is like perfectly suited to the gravity of this moment. Yeah, he's he's doing a great job. Luckily, all of Titan gets evacuated. Yeah. Ti- Good for Titan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you saw how skinny that guy was when they met the one guy from Titan. There's like probably yeah. not that many of them left. If Yeah, you pack him in like cordwood. <laughs> Yeah, they don't take up as much space on the USS Mitchell. We're going to take the 30th floor of Federation HQ and stuff it absolutely full of these people from Titan. We double-checked to make sure the floor beams were reinforced, but honestly, some of these folks are really (laughs) wasting away, so we don't need to support that much weight. None of these people from Titan are plumb. (laughs) So we smash away to the disco, which is just in the midst of grappling with the fact that Book's ship has dipped out with Tarka, and Burnham is marching around the bridge trying to get a sense of the situation. 
you know, the DMA controller being like far away, like they're tracking Book's ship as it goes toward it and as the 10C send other orbs at it. But they're they're realizing they're kind of fucked because the 10C are now interpreting their presence as hostile and <laughs> negotiations uh, have kind of ground to a halt. Camera moves create stress in moments like this. And this is an extremely dynamic sequence where the camera is dodging around the bridge set. And I thought this is really great work by Olatunde Asusanmi. Yeah. Not frenetic in the like Michael Bay sense where you don't know where you are or why. Yeah. You know where you are at every spot. It's not too fast. It's like really well paced. It really is. On book ship, Tark is at the controls trying to evade the orbs. And what we're made to understand is like the orbs are kind of the security system of the 10C. Like right. in order to talk to you, they capture your ship in the orb and then bring you to them. Right. And as book ship is escaping, it's having to do that reconfiguration. It's dodging all around. It's kind of a dogfight thing and the orbs can't catch it. They're basically playing dodgeball with 10C orbs. Right. You can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. Tark is like, why aren't you helping? And Book is like, you revealed yourself to be a villain to me. <laughs> I mean, in Tarka's defense, he did that many, many times. <laughs> yeah. It took Book a long time to kind of catch on. It took Book to be imprisoned on his own ship to really get it. <laughs> but now he gets it. Uh, he also gets something up off the floor. And uh, we don't know what that is, but it seems like Book has maybe an idea. He gets Grudge's collar. Off the floor, gets Grudge's collar off the floor. Gets Grudge's collar off the floor. On the discovery, Burnham is, marches down to the mess hall where she intends to lock up all the diplomats. We're talking Cameron. We're talking Jim Jones. We're talking Freaky Zeke. Even Joel Santana is gonna get confined to quarters. Dipset cannot be trusted anymore. Yeah, just flex that hip hop knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> to the assembled friends at DeSoto, Ben. Best boss I ever had. She's getting ready to do this when Andoye comes out and goes like, Hey, check out this great thing I did secretly behind your backs. You're going to love this. This moment, like many moments this episode, happens so fast. But there is that dialogue by President Rillick that's like, do you really want to like house arrest everyone on the ship? <laughs> and Burnham's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> we cannot have plasma coming out of nacelles on my ship yeah. without me knowing about it. That is not acceptable. But yeah, so when Ndoye reveals that she is the one to have done this and does seem like she's like pretty psyched about what's going on. And like Burnham is like, now, did you make the decision to do that before or after Tarka imprisoned Book? And Toye immediately is like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I did a bad thing. I helped the villain. Yeah. She gets escorted to presumably the brig, but she makes sure on her way down the hall to make herself available yeah. should anything needing a general be required, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> okay, we'll keep that in mind, Toye. <laughs> <laughs> the word is that the Tensi are attempting to capture Book's ship in another one of these bubbles, but they have a McLaughlin group Issue one. amidst this and talk about the fact that they would like to explain a little bit what is going on to the Tensi, but these are like much more complicated ideas than they've been working with so far. Right. And there's just not really a great way to like express nuance yet. When all you've been able to say is 
harvester equals ouch. <laughs> How do you possibly turn that into our engineer and my boyfriend have been taken hostage on a ship we can't control that is a threat to you and us and everyone? I am uh, sending the updated language algorithm to the device now, Captain. This is like a first class German. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can introduce yourself and ask where the bathroom is, but that's about it. Say it with me this time. <laughs> Wo ist die Toilette? So they're like, well, like maybe maybe Trina could like meld with them. We could give that a shot. And Saru is not as excited about this, given that he does not want to see Trina in danger. But there's not really any other ideas on the table. And so she just kind of like marches over to the window and goes ahead and does it. Let's do this. The gap between idea and execution was so small. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was shocked by this. And the fact that it worked also, like I've never seen a Vulcan just like hold their hand up like they're at a Christian revival meeting. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it kind of begs the question, how close does a Vulcan need to get to do a melt? Because they're not touching. Yeah, do they not need to touch necessarily? What are Vulcan prisons like? Because you can't have that room where you're talking into a phone and there's that sheet of glass in the middle. You can easily meld through that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like they can't monitor the communications through a meld, right? Do you think that counts as freedom a little bit? Like if you're on the free side and you meld with a Vulcan on the jail side, uh -huh. the one on the jail side gets a little bit of freedom if they meld with you, right? Right. They can experience what it's like to be outside. That's not fair. <laughs> you think there's just a sign that says no melding and the guard yeah. is like tapping it with a nightstick? No, no, no. <laughs> We know contextually from the Savic style nosebleed that Trina gets that this is a rough meld. Yeah. When she's kind of blown back off of her feet from it. But when Trina comes to, it turns out the meld did not go great. No. Because the message she gets from the 10C is not positive. We don't trust you. Uh, <laughs> now we're really scared of you, basically. Go away! It's tough when the most complex message to come out of the relationship is that yeah i was picturing them as being a bug in a jar but like there is a scenario in which like a bug in, gets out of the jar and you're like ah, ah! right you know? and then uh, darwin eats you i'm imposing a full quarantine on darwin yeah and i kind of feel like that's the headspace that the tents here right now right i don't trust him i don't trust anybody that's the theme and when we come back, uh, they've moved Trina to a bio bed in Six Bay, and she's kind of coming out of her wooziness, describing the 10C as having a collective mind. She says it's dissimilar from the Borgs, which makes me wonder, like, are Borgs just a historical subject matter to these people, or do they, like, still occasionally have scrapes with them or what? Yeah, I mean, that it was President Rillick that said those words indicated to me that they were more than just a historical yeah. moment. Like, if if Burnham had said it, I guess, maybe... Uh, well, no, she wouldn't have known either because she's a past person. Yeah, she's a past person. I guess Rillick would have only been the, the person to make reference to them. Except for Trina, like, knows what she means and is like, no, it's not quite like that. It's different. But they do have a limited to non-existent sense of individualism. Right. Except good. 
Yeah. Like everyone takes great pains to to mention that like this is the good version of that. Well, <laughs> it's nice. They're not going to hegemonize us. Like they, right. They didn't say anything about the futility of resistance when I was in there. So that seemed pretty good. It's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing bad that happened to me was a nosebleed. So yeah. <laughs> that's a lot better than being assimilated. Nobody was putting uh, tubules in my neck. Right. And I really appreciated that about them. Yeah. Stamets blows in a call to Burnham in this scene. He's got a way out of the orb. This was his task off yeah. screen. They're going to go down and uh, and catch up with him. And Saru takes a quick minute to kick it to Trina. <laughs> yeah. Where they discuss how they are both incels, Ben. And by that, I mean intentionally celibate. Yeah. I am. As am I. They've taken the term and flipped it. It makes the same abbreviation, you see? Right, right. And you sort of wonder, maybe that's what it should have been the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Trina has been a T'Chad up until now, but what she should really think about becoming is a T'Stacy. <laughs> and Saru thinks the same. Yeah. It is possible. So they're going to reconsider whether or not they can uh, also have personal lives in addition to professional lives. The whole Trina-Saru storyline does not resolve in any one scene until way later. Like, this is this is baby steps. This is half baby steps here. Yeah. Back on book ship, Tarka is 15 minutes away from going through with his evil plan. Part of that time he uses to go try to convince Book of seeing his side of things or going along with him. Did you get the reason for Tarka kind of turning away from his evil business and kicking it to Book again? I mean, the earlier scene makes the case that Tarka is not like entirely in control of Book's ship. Like he could be doing this faster if Book was helping, maybe. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it, but maybe it's the just the pride of like I don't want to be like told that I'm wrong to do this because like he wants to win hearts and minds. Yeah, like Quajon is going to be there so Book can have everything he wants, but and Jet Reno's like, you know, you've you're fucking wrong. Like, sure, Quajon is there, but like, this is like metaphysical wishful thinking. Like, if it's there, it's not the same people. It's, you know, there's also a, a book there if if it's there. Were you aware of the exact moment where Tarka's description of his destination became fake versus real? Because it seemed like for the longest time, it was an actual place for him to go. And what Jet seems to do in this scene is say, it's a fantasy and it's not real. And you're not going anywhere using that transporter. Well, I think what she's saying is basically like, if you think about like the intendant in Deep Space Nine, that's Kira, but it's not Kira. And what Tarka may en end up with is an intendant Oros situation. It's like a guy that has the same name and stuff, but it won't have any like memories of the time that Tarka spent with him. So it's like meaningless. Tarka's like, so it's going to be Oros, but he's going to be super sexy and wearing like a bunch of latex and stuff. Yeah. I, I and mean, you're telling me I shouldn't be excited to go over that universe? <laughs> huh, Jet? <laughs> I'm not sure this is helping yeah. your cause. This is you trying to dissuade me? <laughs> but Jet's like, no, it's not just Oros. It's like all of your family is also wearing latex and they're all super horny. Right. right. And all of your friends. It's too horny. 
Tarka, you're not going to like how horny it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if she disproves the idea that Oros made it or not. Like, maybe Oros did. But yeah, like, I think what she's saying is that, like, it's a big if for Tarka, and it's definitely not the same for either of them. So you're barking up the wrong tree, basically. Tarka's destination is interestingly ambiguous as a result of this scene. And I don't think it was up until now. It really seemed like a, a real place. Yeah. But now it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, it seems different. Back on Disco, uh, Stamets and Adira tell Burnham and President Rillick about their plan to escape the orb, a plan that involves setting the spore drive to burn out. Yeah. And it's a plan that would get them out of the orb, but at the expense of the spore drive itself, it would be wrecked beyond repair and they'd have to warp home. And that is a transit that would take decades and decades. But It's a Voyager situation. I think a lot is made over the decision about whether or not they should go through with this based on the cost. Right. But I think that is only a sacrifice to a casual viewer because we know the Federation is making more spore drives and... I don't think they would be as marooned as it's suggested here. Right. Like, I think someone else would spore drive out to them. I sort of wonder after this episode if the spore drive is getting taken out of the show or something. Because if Bookship, I mean, (laughs) spoiler alert, if Bookship has the only other one and Tarka was the guy that was developing it, like... Hey, Stamets, uh, you better pack an extra big bag for that vacation (laughs) because we don't need you anymore. You might as well blow me out an airlock. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It would take some backflips to to write that, I think, because, yeah, they would have to explain why Stamets couldn't build another one also. But yeah, it seems like um, it would at least take a very long time to get home. And so, but it's also like, you know, this is a... Billions of lives are on the line situation, so they don't really hesitate. Yeah, I mean, uh, they might not even have a home to get back to. Yeah. I mean, the entire West Coast of the United States could be destroyed by this thing. That would be terrible. Yeah. Could you imagine? Where would you even vacation? I don't know. Anywhere in the world. So uh, back on Book's ship, we find that the gadget that he found is actually... The collar that Grudge wears around the ship. Grudge hates holograms, goes crazy whenever she sees a hologram. So she's got this cat collar that dissipates them. It also repels fleas and ticks, which is nice. (laughs) It's a a high-pitched noise that the cat can't hear, but the ticks can. You ever see a Klingon tick? (laughs) Take your fucking head off. (laughs) It embeds twice. Warrior does not complain about physical discomfort. So we see this, uh, the ship go like slow motion spore jump, which is really cool, I thought. Yeah, and as cool looking as it is on the outside, it looks terrifying on the inside because like try to forget everything you know about bridge panels exploding on Star Trek (laughs) because the way that they explode on the disco in this scene is super heavy duty. Like, people are getting fucked up. These are the kind of shots where the AD shouts actors in danger before you start rolling. Yeah. It's really scary. We cut around to different parts of the ship, including the spork box, Yeah, which kind of crumbles into a heap. This was the other thing that made me wonder, like, are we going to be spore jumping next season or not? Yeah. You don't destroy the spork box if you intend to bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's definitely going to be something different, right? There's going to be yeah. a new and improved engineering section at the very minimum. Yeah, we're going to see a picture of the spork box in a dumpster <laughs> out behind the Paramount <laughs> Studios. It's going to be sad. Yeah. Too bad. But this is successful. They kind of push the ship past the limits and they dissipate the orb and begin to pursue Book and Tarka. And the 10C seem to be content to see where this goes. They do not send more orbs after the disco at this point. No. Maybe they just like gave up on orbs. They're like, yeah, those don't work that good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They should have tried sending a big orb. Yeah. One that's like two or three times the size of the orbs that we've seen up till now. A real honker. (laughs) Yeah. On Book's ship, he has uh, he and Jet Reno have escaped their confinement and a uh, great slow motion sucker punch through the force field. He drops Tarka. Here's to hollow disruptors. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, the reason Tarka just stands there and takes it is because he doesn't think it's coming through. <laughs> yeah. Boy, is he surprised. Yeah, but they get to the controls and are trying to turn off the propulsion or like stop what's going on or radio the discovery and they find that uh, comms are down and they're locked out of the controls so book solution is to give a comm badge to jet reno and say get over there you tell him what's going on i will stay and try and like beat the solution out of tarka but uh let michael burnham know i'm sorry and i love her back on the disco reno arrives and shares this message in a very Jet Reno kind of way. Yeah, This is one of my favorite Jet Reno moments, I think, is the way Tig says this, Yeah, the flatness in the dialogue. The man loves you. He said, do whatever it takes. I really like this moment. This is a good one for me. It's such a fun contrast between her kind of understated portrayal of the character with this like extremely heroic framing and lighting on her, you know, like standing yeah. in the middle of the bridge. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. But they're kind of running out of ideas. And this is when Rillick comes up with a way for General Ndoye to sort of preemptively redeem herself. So it doesn't always work to include the bridge crew's diversity of ideas Yeah, on a project. Utter failure here. <laughs> Sometimes you get the diversity of ideas from people who have already betrayed you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they ask General Ndoye what they should do, and she's like, I say we let General Ndoye go. <laughs> <laughs> Back on uh, the HQ, they're going to try and hold off as many of these space rocks that are heading toward Earth as they possibly can. Very heroic appearance of the USS Mitchell saving one of the EVAC shuttles. Do we know anything about this ship? I was like, hell yeah, the Mitchell. And then I was like, (laughs) what's the Mitchell? The USS Mitchell is monitoring the area where the DMA was located. They just sent this. Head on just looks really cool. And when a ship is shooting at camera, this is a really great composition. All the space stuff around Earth was so fun and and like well-designed and like cool looking. There are so many mini shuttles around, like the space around Earth is just nothing but rocks, shuttles, and ships. Yeah. Uh, Here's an idea, mini shuttles, maybe fly with your blast door down (laughs) when those particles are raining all around you. (laughs) What are you doing, guys? You're going to catch a rock in the face. Yeah. Uh, The president of Earth is not evacuating. We're told that she's going to pull that last one to leave the sinking ship move. 
that great leaders tend to do. Yeah. So she's she's going to keep helping the evacuation, and uh, they're getting full up. It's not looking great. It's not looking like they have much time left. You know who does evacuate? Brian Kemp. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard Ted Cruz went to uh, space Mexico uh-huh. <laughs> during this whole crisis. Like, he wasn't even around. It is rather bewildering. Yeah, bad leadership. Yeah, it sucks. Speaking of shuttles, Adoye is on the bridge of the... Disco suggesting a kamikaze shuttle mission. Somebody is going to fly a shuttle into Bookship. And <laughs> this is one of the most brutal scenes in the episode because, like, the captain is like, Well, it's really sad, but I think we all know who's going to have to do that. And she turns to Detmer, and Detmer's like, uh, Okay, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I like that micro expression of Oo shaking her head before Detmer gets up as yeah. if to say, Don't do it. Yeah. And when Detmer sits down after Ndoye, you know, steps in front of her for the mission, Owo won't even do-o with her. Yeah. It's gutting. Low-key yeah. a great episode for Owo, I thought. She doesn't have, like, many lines, but she gets, like, about a million reaction shots and really, like, uses them for all they're worth. I mean, when you're a bridge crew person on Discovery, this is what you need to make the most of. Yeah. And I agree. But Endoye uh, is going to step in front of this particular bullet. She uh, volunteers to pilot the shuttle. And it really should be her since she kind of got them into this entire <laughs> situation. So very heroically, she uh, volunteers for the sure-to-kill-her mission. And we cut back to Federation HQ, where Admiral Guy in a Travel Show giving a tour of his 100-year-old olive farm is getting ready to go down with the ship himself. Yeah. When you're an admiral, this is a great scene for you. You get on the 1MC and you tell everyone, Thank you all for your bravery. And in this case, that mission is over and they need to get the hell out. Abandon ship. Admiral seems a little too old to be a bartender, but when you see how much he enjoys his work, you kind of understand it. And Tilly have a nice moment here. Yeah, they're going to hang out. They're going to be the ones that stay behind. And um, everybody else gets to warp out of there. They're going to kind of cover their retreat. Tilly like motions towards the flash beam, but then doesn't in the moment. Yeah. She's a hero. She's just as heroic as the Admiral. Yeah. If not more so. Yep. Nobody's asking her to do this. No. No, she's not been ordered to. It's not expected of her. No. She could have made a cadet stay instead of her if she wanted to. (laughs) That would have changed our feelings about Tilly, right? Hey, face tusk guy, keep him company. All right, I'm out. (laughs) Catch you later. Back on book ship, book. After KOing Tarka, he kind of like (laughs) uses the equivalent of the ammonium tablet. Yeah. Gets him back awake again. And Book tells Tarka that Oros is as dead as all the birds and kids on Quajan. The birds. Yeah. There's nowhere for you to go, man. You got to give me control to my ship back. And Book is saying, like, you've got to stop this to Tarka. You've got you've to do the right thing for everyone else. You're being so selfish. And, like, Tarka is so fucking codependent that he's like, I wish Oros was here to tell me this. I wish Oros, yeah. I wish Oros had been here the last 10 years to tell me not to, like, put billions of lives at risk for my own crazy, selfish goal. God, Oros must have been able to knock it out. <laughs> Damn. 
<laughs> no shit, man. <laughs> Tarka is just flipped around. <laughs> <laughs> he is not acting right <laughs> do you think like charles coke watches star trek discovery and is like i get tarka he's a good guy i think <laughs> he's the only relatable person on this show yeah tarka is sorry but nothing can stop what he started yeah it's a it's a super secret triple password encoded countdown situation there's no he locked the controls and swallowed the key yeah i mean he tied his belt around the steering wheel (laughs) and then tied the other end to uh the belt buckle and he's ready to dive out the door yeah let this car go over the cliff they're realizing that uh, all is lost and then they see Endoye's shuttle coming right for him (laughs) It sucks because Endoye learned how to fly, but never learned how to land. <laughs> <laughs> we learn her first name in this. It's Diada. She says goodbye to President Rillick right before presumably buying the farm. But then we find out that like everybody survived this crash. Question. If you're writing this episode and you make it so Endoye lives through yeah. this... And Endoye is not a main cast character. Why don't you give this moment to Detmer and have her survive it? I sort of wondered that too. They want to redeem Endoye. Yeah, Endoye would look like such a dickhead if she was like, hey, I've got a plan. It involves a suicide mission and uh, I'm going to let one of you do that. <laughs> like, Yeah, I guess so. This episode is very much about cleaning up your own mess. It is extremely about neat endings, for sure. Yeah, so... She gets beamed out of there. We just hear about that. And then we cut to Book's fucked up ship and a kind of uh, tearful goodbye between Tarka and Book. Tarka's like, hey, man, like, you got to go. I'm going to just hope that my transporter works without a power source and see if this thing gets me to Kylie's. And he picks it up. (laughs) I thought it looked like it was it was like a helmet that he was going to put on. Did you get that? <laughs> I was like, if he puts this on his head, I'm going to fucking... <laughs> it's going to send me, man. <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't choose that as a, as a method for transport. <laughs> it really looked like a... It really seems like he's going and is not coming back, right? The piano theme from the saddest parts of American Beauty starts playing as Tarka stands alone with his maybe helmet. Yeah. And... <laughs> My question for you about this scene is, how do you feel about him versus how does the show want you to feel about him? Because I think a lot has to do with the music here. A musical sting that they put here and also with Tilly toward the end. So I'm confident that the show wants us to feel empathy for Tarka, but... I mean, he's a tragic character. I have a hard time mustering that given how many billions of people he was willing to sacrifice for his own personal chance at love. Yeah. I mean, it's a tragedy. It's tragic that he went to that extreme. And I think you're right that the show wants us to, like, pity him, essentially. But I don't think that it wants us to, like, admire him. I resented a little bit tying this to Tilly. Like, hey, if you feel this for Tilly's impending death, like, certainly you got to feel it for Tarka. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't make the connection between the two musical pieces, but that's that's real, man. Yeah. Should have been a different piece of music. 
back on Disco, I mean, it sure seems from Book's ship's perspective, Book will have successfully beamed back to the Discovery. And when we go back to the Discovery for that POV, we get the transport having begun. Yeah. And then the ship in the background on the view screen explodes and the pattern dissolves off of the bridge. And we get an extremely powerful moment from Sonequa Martin-Green here that is why you cast her to be the star of your show. It just gives me chills to even think about what she does here. It's an amazing performance. It's undergirded by like years of Star Trek episodes teaching us that a shuttle exploding will always result in us getting them out right at the last minute. Yeah. And when that pattern dissipates, it really like pulls the rug out from under you. And then her reaction shows you how much hope has been lost. But it's also... Like her struggle is both with the loss, but also the knowledge that she will only get a moment to spend with this feeling because she has to get right back to work. This is a scene that made me think about the scene in the third Star Trek movie where Kirk learns that his son has been killed on the planet's surface and he misses the chair. Yeah. Burnham hits the chair. She gets an entire minute of runtime to work through this before straightening her tie and getting back to work. I just thought it was an amazing performance. And there's an expression she has right before she gets back to work that I really loved. That is maybe my favorite part of the 10 things she's going through on screen. And I also want to say that like you shoot someone this close up who can do it. Right. Like lots of times in TV and movies, you're at like a medium or a wider shot watching someone's physicality deal with the burden of grief. Right. But Sonequa Martin-Green is so good, you can be this close with her for almost an entire minute and go through it all. But the very last expression she's got before she gets back to work is, fucking book, man. (laughs) (laughs) The the almost smile at the end, I thought was like the cherry on top of like the stages of grief you have when you're thinking about someone you love. Like there is goodness in the memory there and that goodness is the last thing that she deals with before she gets back to work and that choice was incredible it's such a an amazing like i i mean i watched the episode twice the choice surprised me both times like it seemed impossible both times but also like so authentic i i would love to know about how this scene worked like between actor and director and how an actor finds their way into that choice Because it was just the right one all the way. And it's about trust between a director and an actor that, that makes something like this possible. It's, I love this scene. It was great. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. 
Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? Run! Why? Why? I'm trying to save you. You should be not going anywhere. Why? Why? I'm trying to save all of you. Who are you? When we come back from the commercial, we're back at HQ, which is now alone in orbit of Earth, which is starting to get bombarded more and more by space rocks. And Admiral, I picked the wrong day to stop drinking rice and whiskey, just kind of hangs out with Tilly on the bridge, and they kind of prepare for the end of the world. Does... Admiral, I really have two flasks on me at all times. Really have two flasks on him at all times. <laughs> Does Rise and Whiskey come in flasks? <laughs> Was there a deleted scene where he like got out a funnel and poured out of a bigger bottle into these two little flasks? I mean, that's the thing about flasks is like you really need to choose a spirit in there because you're not getting in there with a tiny brush to clean it out. No, it's yeah. Uh, if it's a rum flask, it stays a rum flask. <laughs> if it's a whiskey flask, it stays a whiskey flask. Whiskey? 
I love Tilly's take here. She's like, oh, whiskey. And it doesn't taste like shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the good stuff. Yeah. They got two hours to uh, do this heavy drinking. And that seems like more than enough time to get a good drunk on before the end of the world. They're going to be sauced. They might get sauced enough to be like, hey, like the last two people on earth. Do you want to... uh..." (laughs) Admiral, my family is going to die anyway. Kind of gives Tilly the look. How much time do we have? Admiral, my wife gave me an extremely unlikely hall pass, but well, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. I thought a lot about the Admiral's family in this scene because of all that we've heard about his family up until now and how little we've seen. Yeah. Given that. Yeah. I mean, he's a character that shows up every like third episode, I feel like. But but yeah, it's something I'm curious about. I wonder if they'll try to explore that more next season. I mean, he never does that thing where he asks which shuttle his family's on or Mm -hmm. which ship or whatever. Right. You know? But were they on Earth or would they have been back where Federation HQ was or some other planet? I don't this remember. is what I'm saying. Like he would have specific knowledge about where they are at all times, yeah. wouldn't he? But if they're not in like imminent danger, he wouldn't even be like bringing them up, right? You wouldn't want to throw that in everyone's face yeah. on the bridge of the <laughs> HQ ship, right? Like, all right, just quadruple checking where my family is and they are safely on like one of the Jenga pieces of this ship that's warped away. All right, just making sure. The disco is back in an orb and being brought back into the gas giant and uh, a bubble comes to take them down into a building where there's lots and lots of 10 Cs hanging out, and pretty much everybody gets to go on this one. This is a much bigger lozenge, and even Dr. Harai and Zora get to come this time. Uh, no spacesuits either, which I thought was interesting. Is that because they're inside? I mean, that doesn't mean they're inside the orb, and the orb is just making the scene for them. It becomes like a dome. It becomes a biodome when they set down on that rock. Yeah, it's like blowing a bubble, and then instead of popping when it hits a tree, it, it, just, it just sort of lands on a leaf. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that this alien place was really cool, and I think it was especially cool because we got to see a ruin of like a similar place, and now we get yeah. to see the like not fucked up version of it. I mean, they've been to places like this so many times, you could consider it a mappable ass place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally mappable now. Yeah, yeah. And then the Tensies show up and, Captain, they're hairy. That long, hairy, red and black bastard. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. Didn't see that coming. I'd take a paddle brush to this thick king <laughs> who rises up into frame. This is definitely the leader. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a lot of back and forth here. Saru's got the translator pedestal. Yeah. And so they're uh, asking and answering questions in this scene. President Rillick starts kind of speaking in political platitudes about how we are all individuals, but together we are one and we seek freedom, <laughs> justice. Poor Saru's like banging away on the court reporter stand, like just just trying to keep up, but his fingers are huge. <laughs> He's like, hey, hey, Reese, do you mind coming and like typing for me? This kind of, this is unfair. <laughs> I mean, the pace of this episode obscures the leap you need to take here because when you're just talking in 
subject verb, simple language, and then you go to president speak. Yeah. It's a lot. I love how the 10C sort of ignores the president and is like, what was up with Book and Tarka? <laughs> what, what was up their ass? Are they like friends ears or what? Yeah. And Burnham tries to make sense of Tarka's plan without using names or or descriptions or anything. Yeah. And changes the subject, right? Like this is what happens when one party has unintentionally hurt another. Right. Michael Burnham's like, look, uh, I know Book and Tarka almost did a thing, but you actually did a thing and may do a d- another thing just as bad. So why don't you flip that thing off? Yeah. And they do. Yeah. And we're cutting around like we've got a couple different locations that we're seeing. We're seeing the actual communication with the 10C, but we also cut away to engineering where Adira and Stamets and Culber are hanging out. And we cut away to Federation HQ a couple of times in this. And when we cut to Federation HQ, it is clear that the DMA is stopping yeah. its reign of destruction. DMR. The 10C are like, hey, we're really sorry about our combine out there. We promise we're just going to run it in unpopulated areas. Is that good? Because we still need what it harvests. Yeah. We got this big shield to power. I thought it was also interesting that when it like starts moving away, the debris field goes with it because it must be like caught in the gravitational. I don't like... Does that make sense? I, I, yeah, I couldn't quite put that together either. I don't know like how physics work, but I was like, wouldn't Earth be like also pulled away if it's pulling the rocks away with it? Yeah. I don't know. Everyone is super psyched that they've been able to communicate. It seems like the combine is going to be turned off or stopped or yeah. reversed or whatever. Like they've made the breakthrough that they've been going for the entire time. Yeah. And Michael Burnham is still sad. So sad. They're like, it seems like yeah, we did exactly what you came here to ask us to do. So why the water running down your face? Yes. Also, what to face? <laughs> In Arnold Schwarzenegger terms from Terminator 2, the 10 seer like, I see now why you cry. <laughs> but it is something that I can never do. <laughs> Goodbye. But she explains to them that the one guy that died over there was very beloved to her and he was really sad about all the birds dying on his planet and now she's sad about him dying and they're like oh you mean that guy in that like extremely weird pattern of information that we captured because uh we were curious about it yeah we got you and like jesus being resurrected like coming out of heavenly light book reappears so burnham describes book without using any descriptive words. And I was thinking about how hilarious it would have been for the 10 to go, oh, I know the guy, and Tarka appears. <laughs> I know a guy who died over there. We can save him. We can do it right now. <laughs> I don't want to tip my hand too much. I really liked this episode. I thought this was another really beautiful emotional moment that then just gets absolutely fucking kneecapped because they cut away to Stamets going, he's alive. <laughs> Oof. It was so bad. Why did they do that? Just give us Michael Burnham and book. Yeah. This is the rare show that does show and tell. (laughs) We needed a a folksy comparison by Detmer here. (laughs) He's alive as a bullfrog in August. Looks like this cow backed its way out of the uh, meatpacking facility. (laughs) (laughs) Tamar, what are you talking about? (laughs) We eat shit now. (laughs) 
<laughs> the tents here, like, what's a meatpacking facility? And she's like, I don't actually want to explain it to you guys. <laughs> it's where we take our giant combines, <laughs> drive them over a field of cows. Book is only momentarily happy to be alive here before turning his attention toward the Tensee. He looks up and he's like, holy shit, there they are. Are we in comms? Like, can I say stuff to them too? And and they're like, yeah, go ahead. I guess you, you probably have as big a reason to talk to them as anyone. Book's like, are we still using simple sentences or can I try to communicate a very complex feeling at this moment in time? And the president's like, no, go for it. He really calls them in. Like, they initially apologized to him and say, like, yeah, we're not going to use our mining equipment in populated parts of space. And he's like, that is not good enough. That's not the apology we came here to get. Like, you're leaving a mess everywhere you, you take that thing. It's fucking shit up. And they're doing it, it turns out, because the Boronite is the power source for their border wall. Their hyperfield exists because of Boronite and the 10 C don't want to drop the wall, but he makes the case that, you know, the safety that you're getting at the expense of everyone else is uh, coming at too high a cost. Yeah. A motivated person will get around any wall. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it was this like impenetrable barrier, but like a year and a half later, it's like falling apart. Like it's <laughs> very obviously not a good design. And then his forehead starts glowing, and the Ten C all uh, glow up their own foreheads like lighters at a concert. Is this a way to demonstrate their understanding, or is Book doing something here? Like, is Book freshening them up? <laughs> <laughs> they, all, they all start bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess the former because uh this is like close encounters of the of the third kind here right this is like the visual equivalent of the tone yeah yeah and then they screen grab the notes app and post a way better apology the second time right and it's like you know we wish you to apologize like that the first time but this is better and uh, yeah it's very touching it's it, it it worked for me yeah i mean it worked for everyone yeah great success yeah, and uh, and they get sent home too. The Ten C have the power to uh, they use that wormhole one last time to wormhole the discovery back to planet Earth. So burning out the spore drive was not the catastrophe that they worried it it might be. It kind of seems like uh, Federation HQ and the fleet are going to be right at home above Earth. It does looks pretty nice. Yeah, that's that's where you want to see Federation HQ. I mean, it's nice except for the one meteor we saw break through the shield. Yeah. <laughs> you hope it didn't hit that tree oh. that we came to love a couple seasons ago. Yeah. If that thing landed on San Francisco, that's a tragedy. Yeah. It crushed Hollow Boothby's head. <laughs> Destroyed the tree. Hollow Boothby was swinging a rake. Yeah. <laughs> trying to stop it. It scares the hell out of me. We got to have a celebration, Ben, and the lobby bar on Disco is hopping. Yeah. Tilly on the deck, get uh, one of our classic Star Trek Discovery hug montages. Oh, yeah. That's great. Lots of dissolves around the room to everyone involved. Yeah. You get a dissolve. <laughs> you get a dissolve. Saru and Trina make it a fish. You must call me Tarina. I thought we were going to dissolve to the brig here because, I mean, this is, a, again, the intentionality of pace forcing us to forget for a moment 
how important Book is to Michael Burnham, because this scene follows the scene that came before where Book and Michael Burnham are reunited. To see Michael Burnham alone without him in yeah. the very next scene was jarring. Yeah, but you you do the math, right? Like, yeah. there's going to be questions that need answers <laughs> for Book, yeah. and uh, it's tough. And uh, before we get closure with Book and Michael Burnham, we get some closure with... President Rillick and Michael Burnham. They have a little confab in Michael Burnham's office and talk about how far they have come and how far Michael Burnham has come since the beginning of this episode. Michael Burnham again turns down the... I mean, she narrowly avoided having a Voyager situation (laughs) with her own ship. She doesn't want to be captain of the USS Voyager for real. There's coffee in that. I still wouldn't take it, ma'am. President Rillick is like... I would love it if you were captain of the Voyager because what it has is a seat next to the captain's chair for <laughs> people like me to uh, take a load off. And yeah. if I keep chaperoning your missions on the disco, I'm going to need one of those squishy standing mats. She's like, listen, I think I look good in a high heeled shoe, but I can't wear them on your ship. You know, yeah. like I have to stand so much. You know, take it from me, Michael Burnham. You start turning down work long enough, the phone's going to stop ringing, and uh, <laughs> you're no longer going to be a video producer. <laughs> what happens to Book now? We find out in Michael Burnham's quarters where he's been given a moment to say goodbye. Yeah. His sentence for almost killing billions of people is social work. He will be helping families displaced by the DMA. Yeah. Restorative justice, I guess. And yeah. um, he uh, has his own apologies to make. He might need to get the notes out. I mean, this is going to be like probably four images that he posts to Twitter, right? Yeah, definitely quad boxing the apology. <laughs> Spoken like an expert. (laughs) I got a bunch of those in my drafts folder. (laughs) One for any occasion. He teaches her a uh, a phrase in uh, in Quajanese, Kokwani Yikwan, which means we've parted a hundred times. May we meet again to part a hundred more. That's nice, right? Sort of seems like he might not be a every weak character going forward, right? Wow. Guess so. It's hard to know because this episode ends so tightly. Like there is no suggestion of a cliff to hang from. Right. It's just the buttoning up of all of our matters. It really is, yeah. That button begins with a log. Michael Burnham tells us that uh the mission to clean up the Ten Seas messes is ongoing and vacations can begin for everyone. Yeah. The West Coast is uh, really going to be raking in those tourism dollars yeah, <laughs> based on what we see in this log. Another thing that I think this log illuminated for me that I had not really processed up until now is that if you thought Saru had gross fingers, you ain't seen shit until you've seen Linus's fingers. Oof. What the fuck? It's a hell of a thing. Yeah. You can tell a lot about Trina by the way she grabs and holds Saru's hands and how like non-superficial she is. Yeah. I don't think Trina would date Linus. No. No. I think that is a bridge too far. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> yeah. The button on the episode, Adam, pretty wild stuff. 
we meet the president of Earth. And the president of Earth, played by Stacey Abrams, announces that uh, they are going to be rejoining the Federation post-haste, really putting things back together. Kind of a crazy scene here when Stacey Abrams steps off her shuttle and then Brian Kemp shoves her off of the ramp. The math is on our side to win this election. Hey, and is okay. Not a scratch on her for having been in an exploding shuttle and yeah. then beamed away. Yeah. I, I stood up on the couch. I was so excited to see Stacey Abrams here. It's kind of end of first Star Wars movie vibes. Yeah. Everyone's getting their medal, celebrating a, a happy mission. Some positive platitudes exchanged, but uh, yeah, I, I I loved CNC. I mean, I want Stacey Abrams to be in politics. I don't want her to like yeah. become a regular recurring character on. Uh, yeah, this scene cut both ways in that way. I was like, oh man, she is free for this. <laughs> Damn, there's a lot of work to do. Are you ready for that? Yeah, a person that I hugely, hugely admire and love to know is associated with Star Trek in an official way. Yeah, she's a public fan. Really cool. Remains to be seen whether or not she's an FOD. I would imagine she is. She seems pretty cool. Yeah. Our last shot of the season. We pull out and out and out and fill the frame with Earth. I loved seeing the scale of these ships with Earth like this. Because like mm-hmm. you see them in orbit of Earth all the time, but they're always so much closer to the camera than Earth is. To see the parallax of this was really neat. I think that's a smart way to tell this story too, right? Like so much of what's happening has happened on these little ships and their decisions have affected people who live on planets that are so much larger. Yeah. Yeah. It it gives you a little moment to reflect on that. And and that's our episode. Yeah. Dedicated to April, who we, uh, I don't know if we know who April is, but- uh, I tried to like look it up on various websites, couldn't find an answer, but we're recording yeah. this the day it comes out. Maybe somebody will talk about that in an interview. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? But maybe that's not for us to know. Maybe this is a uh, Michelle Paradise thing. That is her own deal. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? <laughs> I really like this episode. I have felt like this season has been maybe more uneven for me than some of the others, but- I think that what they wrote toward was worth some of the missteps in my book. And I really thought that this was an extremely strong end to the season. I feel like, you know, that's kind of been typical of Discovery also, like that the ends have always felt like somehow they work in spite of some of the episodes that preceded them. Mm -hmm. But this, this in particular just felt like really great. And I had a great time watching it. And um, I uh, am curious to see if the 10C become a species that they communicate with in the future. It kind of seems like maybe not. I'm very curious to see what they do with the ship in the post spore drive. You know, like, like, are they rebuilding it with a better spore drive next season? Or are they, yeah. or the spore drive off the table for some reason or, or what? And uh, that'll be very interesting to see. And I just, I love that this is a Star Trek that is set way out in the future and is like charting a new course. So I'm here for it and I'm glad we're going to get another season. It feels like this is the first season of Star Trek Discovery that sets up a totally clean slate. Yeah, right. I mean, the jump to the future end of season cliffhanger could be considered that, but we had something specific to resolve there. Right. Everything has been resolved at the end of this season. So I think 
season five could go just about anywhere. Do not let history repeat. I like the episode too, Ben. I will say that I enjoyed the story. Like as soon as the Tarka and book story dissolved, I enjoyed the episode more mm-hmm. because I think throughout the season, that was the most difficult plot line to buy. Yeah. And I was never on board for it completely. It just never seemed believable for how much we were made to appreciate Book and care about him. Right, right. Like, I couldn't quite divorce myself from that feeling. And so when that story dissolved and we were just in a story for the rest of the episode, boy, there was a lot to like. And it was another episode with another quintessential science fiction Star Trek problem to solve. And we've gotten a couple episodes this season that went that way, where it's smart people working together to solve a problem with the highest stakes. And that's the best of what Star Trek does. It's the best of what this version of Star Trek does too. Like when they get distracted by other stuff, I I think that's when this show strays the most. Yeah, and I'm learning to grasp what I should maybe know better than anyone as the inventor of Star Trek as a place, as a concept. (laughs) As the inventor of the quarter sheet pan on sale at the merch booth. As the inventor of Star Trek as a place. (laughs) This is a season that equaled Star Trek as a place to tell a dramatic story. Sure. And also a science fiction story, maybe even secondarily. But this was the season where the drama was emphasized Mm -hmm. uh, more than anything. And that was an adjustment for me. Yeah. But if I really believe Star Trek is a place, then Star Trek is a place where every kind of story can be told, including this one. And I continue to believe it, that that is the way to go when you make Star Trek, especially now. So it kind of reframed my feelings about the season, but it still does not insulate it from the criticisms that you and I have both had about it, which is when it does stray away from Star Trek or even science fiction in general and like really luxuriates in its own feelings. Yeah. I mean, that's when it becomes, to me, it like feels more CBS than anything. Like that feels like a CBS show and not a Star Trek show Hmm. when it really wallows. In, In the trauma stuff, yeah. And- I understand an instinct to use these actors' talents in those ways. Like, if you've got a Sonequa Martin-Green <laughs> right. with that gear, yeah. like, why would you not right. yeah. dial that up whenever you could? And I'm glad, like... It's like if you've got a winch on the front of your Jeep, you're going to, like, find scenarios to use the winch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her finest moment came in this episode, and it was just really well-timed. It, it was just a reminder of her greatness, and I'm glad we stuck around for it. Yeah. And I hope Star Trek fans do, because, I mean, that's worth it right there. Agree. That felt real in a way that I think they were going for episode after episode, but so few times can you actually bullseye it, you know? Totally. Well, do you want to see if there's any uh, Priority One messages that hit the bullseye, Adam? Oh, yeah. Look at that. There's a dart in our P1 message board, (laughs) and then another dart sticking out the end of that. Wow. What the hell? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Zach Brager. Again. (laughs) The again was from me. Uh, And it is to the friends of DeSoto. The message goes like this. When Ben and Adam teased potential for a show in SLC, I took to the USS Hood Discord with a poll to gauge interest. Apparently, 
There's only three of us Utahns in there. Oh man. So I'm aiming this P1 at the FODs in Utah and adjacent. If you would attend a live show in SLC, make it known however you can. Let's see if we can get these guys to stop in Utah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if we can find a way to make the numbers work, I'm super down. Every time we do a tour, we get people who are disappointed that the tour doesn't come to their town. And that's always, you know, I don't want to make anybody feel disappointed. And this has been a really hard tour to book. uh, We get just as many people disappointed that we're doing a tour at all during the end of the pandemic, you know? (laughs) Right. Getting it from all sides. I mean, we also get people that are just disappointed that we're, we are coming to their town. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they ask us, please don't do a show in Chicago. If you could not do a show in Milwaukee, we would really appreciate it. I just wish the people who were disappointed in us got priority one messages like <laughs> Zach Brager did. We've booked this tour three different times and had to cancel it. Yeah. Part of the limited number of cities is just us trying to like avoid making our booker have to do a ton of extra unpaid work in a scenario where we have to reconsider some or all of these shows. And it's very hard to predict that these days. So... Like, we are open to all cities on future tours, and the best way to get us to come to your town is honestly, like, let people know how much you like the show, because the more people that listen, the more places they will be for us to go. Right. We know our listenership in the cities around the country, and if it is revealed that we get a great big boost of listenership in SLC, then that would be a compelling reason to do a show there. Yeah, we would love to. And, uh, you know, like, it'd be just really cool to meet Zach Brager in person. He's bought so many P1s at this point. (laughs) I mean, it would probably help if we just said right now for all to hear that we are the official Star Trek podcast of the Church of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, uh, wildly popular to Mormons is this show. (laughs) And if we get enough of them to listen, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we might be doing a show there. Uh, Adam, our next P1 is from The Gooch. The Gooch. And it is to Zach Brager. Wow. Wow, what are the chances? Get a P1, you two. (laughs) Goes like this. I wanted to express solidarity with Zach after hearing his P1. I, too, listened to Ben and Adam describe the first season of Disco before I got the CBS app. I was immensely confused about Admiral Bob. Fortunately, I split the cost of the app with a few other FOTs and saw the offending haircut. It's not an offensive haircut. It's it's just a bob. We just... <laughs> okay, whatever. That's funny. Keep up the good work, Adam and Ben. See you in Boston. Oh, man. Shots fired by the gooch at Zach Brager right at the end there. I'm excited to see the gooch in Boston. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be our winery show. That is. Yeah, that's our city winery show. Looking forward to... I think that one that one looks like it may sell out, right? Yeah. I think uh, a lot of them are looking that way. Yeah. Well, uh, I can't not wait to get back out on tour and uh, see the friends of DeSoto in person. And we really appreciate everybody that got a Priority One message. These have especially helped us uh, in this last few weeks of having double episodes every week of The Greatest Discovery. If you'd like to get a P1 and uh, get the word out there about something or send a message to a friend, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. 
I'm going to have to give it to Stamets for that uh, interjection yeah. <laughs> on that book being alive. I just like laughed out loud when he said it in the moment, just because it was so, so absurd. And that is not the reaction you want in that moment. The The reaction you want is relief and and to be feeling overjoyed. Yeah. I mean, also that like in that sequence, it kind of felt like maybe they'd shot all of the stuff that they had time for with Jet Reno. And so they just had to get her in there on on the communicator. I was thinking that too, like if it was a coverage decision to act as a transition between scenes and you like had to use it. Yeah, yeah. But it's just unfortunate. Like it's happened a couple of times this season where like really good actors are given really thankless pieces of dialogue to deliver. And like, this is not a knock on Anthony Rapp who fucking rules. Yeah. But like- it sucks to like look at the page and and see that and go like fuck man. Yeah. The best I can do these days. I didn't love that Wilson Cruz and Blue Del Barrio got stuck just being like react shots for the entire last half of this episode. Are they like if something happened on that asteroid and they all got killed, it's their ship, right? <laughs> yeah. Just the three of them. Yeah, yeah. That's some real lost in space shit. Yeah. This is Ensign Adira in command of Starship Discovery. We're headed home. <laughs> Adam, did you have an Edward Larkin? I mean, when we saw Edward Larkin last, uh, he was being buried in a pile of triples of his own creation. Yeah. I'm going to guess he probably died in the act. Yeah. Tarka's outshot reminded me a lot of Larkin's in that way. Like, holding... Maybe a helmet <laughs> as his ship explodes. Like absolutely hoisted on his own maybe a helmet petard. Yeah. And like this was a problem of his creation. All of it. All of it was his doing. Could you do this mission without him though? If he did not exist on this show, does Disco get this far if they're not also chasing him is an interesting question. Like was he instrumental in... The path. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Hard to Made say. me wonder. Yeah. That is a, a really solid Larkin. Well observed by you. Yeah. Well, that was our coverage of season four of Star Trek Discovery. I don't think we're going to have time to do one of our classic rewatch the entire season and recap it episodes, given how much new Trek is still coming down the pike but uh you might get a chance before season five maybe. maybe that's gonna be way out in the distance though but that's true nice to do that before a new season yeah you know next uh, week we will be on our star trek picard bullshit so uh come back for more and uh we really appreciate everyone that listens and come see us on tour yeah tour starts this week I just got our awesome tour shirts. Oh, great. In the mail in four giant boxes. I just got shipping confirmation for our awesome challenge coins. And uh, they're going to actually be meeting up with us at the hotel in Chicago. So, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, the front desk is going to love that. Yeah. And uh, getting them home is going to be a ton of fun, too, because it's all of them. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But uh, we'll figure it out. Well, let's hope we sell a ton of them in Chicago, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis. You could really help by buying a challenge coin. Well, uh, fun season, Ben. I'm really glad we got to uh, do this together. Another Star Trek Discovery season in the books before we pivot into Star Trek Picard. 
And before this episode of Greatest Discovery pivots into the credits. Yeah. With those, here is Windy Pretty, and that is only if Brian Kemp doesn't shove her out of the way and do the credits himself. <laughs> Just the worst. One of the worst humans. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week on the show, it'll be a review of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 4, Watcher. With time running out to save the future, Picard takes matters into his own hands and seeks out an old friend for help. Meanwhile, Rio ends up on the wrong side of the law and Gerardi makes a deal with the Borg Queen. Thank you to Adam Ragusia, who created all of the original music you hear on this show. Subscribe to his YouTube cooking channel and now his podcast. Thanks as well to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who manages the at Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.